Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to the marketplace. Coming up, big question. How do we strengthen the performance of the city, which is expected to further weaken following rising demand for foreign exchange ahead of the festive season? We will discuss. Also ahead, how does Africa fit into the UK's £1 trillion export strategy? We will be hearing from Managing Director of ETK Group, Olaji Sofulowe. Uh, as ETK, we think that we can actually position African businesses to trade with the UK by improving their institutional structures. And I think that's where Africa comes in, being better positioned to sell with the rest of the world. And on Let's Talk Tech, uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, has started charging new users $1 a year to access key features as part of a new trial. Could this make or break X? Analysis ahead. My name is Daryl Kwan. Thanks for joining us. Details coming up. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. Uh, first up, how do we strengthen the performance of the city? That is a big question, as the local currency is expected to weaken for the third week running. This follows rising demand uh, for foreign exchange from local corporates and importers ahead of the festive season. We'll speak with research lead at GCB Capital Courage Boutin a bit first, though, this report. Foreign exchange support from the Bank of Ghana. This is despite the central bank's $20 million auction to bulk oil distribution companies and $2 million spot market interventions. These, many analysts said, were insufficient to meet the persistent foreign exchange demand. Nonetheless, the rate of depreciation is not alarming. The local currency lost 0.17% in value against the dollar last week, closing at 11 cities, 84 pesos. It also depreciated by 0.86% against the pound and 0.60% against the euro on the retail market. On the interbank market, the city, however, posted a mixed performance. Well, let's analyze this further. Joining us on Zoom is research lead at GCP Capital Courage. Good afternoon to you, Courage. So is this uh, pretty much expected as we head into the festive season? Is there a cause for alarm? Good afternoon to you and your listeners. Um, it's an um, usual trend we experience around this time. A lot of the pressure you are seeing on the demand side is coming from 
led large corporates who probably are stocking up and preparing ahead of um, Christmas. And then a lot of it also coming from the BDCs who um, are trying to get in oil for uh, consumption, really. The Bank of Ghana still supports them with the bi-weekly auction. Uh, but then we know the size is just about 20 million, which is just bad, a fraction of what their needs are, really. So those are playing a role. But there is also an externality to it or an external uh, cause of the pressure you are seeing. The USDs are the strongest, maybe in a while. It's had several weeks of appreciation against a basket of currencies. Uh, reasons are inflation while receding uh, is still quite high. And the policy rate stands, as we know it now, is that the Fed will keep hiking until inflation recedes us sufficiently. We've seen job data in recent months, and I think for the 33rd week running, a 33rd month running, uh, payroll employment has actually increased in the U.S. We've seen unemployment level drop to uh, near lower. The fact that our reserves is quite weak, much lower than it was in 2022 when we experienced the levels of depreciation, really. The CD is it is now, even with the trend we're seeing, is much stronger than it should be. And I think this, what is happening around this period is really just market-driven. The demand dynamics around this point relative to the supply levels which you know now is coming mostly from, from the central banks in trade and, and, and forward auctions. Mm. And, of course, um, traders and import receipts that are um, export receipts that are hitting the market. Beyond that, we are not seeing flows from the portfolio side and the many other areas that you would expect, really. And so the CD, even with the trend we are seeing now, is, is actually very stable. Should the central bank be doing anything to uh, further strengthen its performance as you approach the festive season? The focus, I mean, yes, they are doing something, I believe. They are intervening on the market weekly. You are seeing about $2 million, $2.5 million um, intraday interventions uh, on the spot market, really. You are also seeing the, the $20 million forward auctions. Is that enough? Probably not. But can they do more? I don't think so. The focus, as we know, it is on building reserves at this point because we are at such low levels. Maybe in the coming weeks, um, if the cocoa syndication loan hits the account, uh, we are also looking forward to today's 18th, really. So November is not very far away. The IMF is expected to approve a program if we meet some conditions precedent. Um, the World Bank is still yet to come through with or expected to come through with some 500 plus million dollars in, in some DOP, really, um, uh, DPO, I must say. Now, if these liquidity flows coming, then it strengthens the Bank of Ghana's position to probably be able to do more um, in the latter part of the quarter. But I believe that the focus is also very much on building reserves. And you wouldn't want to deplete it so much just to support some stability and leave yourself very vulnerable again. I see 
1.2 months of import cover in the, uh, the latest releases from the IMF World Bank, really. The government is looking at a target of 0.8 months of import cover towards uh, by end of year. Those are not figures that are very encouraging. And so there must be that um, agency to also protect and build up reserve to avoid any vulnerability or to limit any vulnerability to external shocks. Mm. And I guess they will balance their, their um, focus between that and in supporting the market at this point. Well, a quick uh, question before we wrap up on this. The producer price index, as reported today by the Ghana Statistical Service, shows uh, producer price inflation fell by 3.1% to 25.1% uh, in September, and that's a big improvement from where we used to be. Talk to us about what this means for general inflation going forward, juxtaposing it with concerns, especially from manufacturers about the city. Well, yes. I mean, that represents the costs uh, or the prices these manufacturers are receiving for their products on average, really. And so if it's receding, what it means is that they are willing to accept lower prices, which also means that their cost of imports may not be as high as it was previously. Uh, but then, yes, 3.1 decline, but at, I think at 25.1, um, it is still high. It will feed into inflation. And so it feeds into the general trend we are seeing on the market where consumer inflation is also on the decline. Um, the economy is not yet stable, even if there are signs of improvement. Uh, the cost of inputs, uh, especially the ones that are dependent on FX, is still very much a dicey issue. And pricing will take a cue from that because ESCD may be stable now and it has been for the most part of the year. But we know that one trigger is enough to put things out of out of order, really. And so it's a positive development, positive trend. It feeds into the slowing uh, CPI inflation that we are seeing. Uh, but then the interventions must be sustained to bring about a stable macroeconomy where interest rates are predictable, where exchange rates are predictable, and the cost of inputs ultimately would also be predictable. That is when we can have sustained declining these numbers and by extension CPI inflation. All right. Thank you so much, Karaj Boti, the research lead at GCB Capital. I appreciate your time with us. Now, the Ghana Export Promotion Authority, GEPA, is rallying Ghanaian businesses to take full advantage of the economic partnership agreement between Ghana and the European Union to export goods to the EU market. According to Deputy CEO of GEPA, Samuel Dentu, the EU market offers limitless opportunities for Ghanaian businesses to expand and go global. He was speaking at a press soiree to launch the Compete Ghana GEPA Expo School. I mean, if you look at our, our export statistics, EU is about... I mean, one of the top three um, regions that we send our exports to. So we have taken advantage, but we still can take more advantage. Um, the opportunities um, are enormous. And um, we have the products. We have the knowledge. Um, we need to keep at it and ensure that we sell more into the EU market. Because, um, as you know, the EU is a cluster of countries. And um, everybody or everyone in the EU market have heard about one product or the other from Ghana. Um, however, like um, Nicholas mentioned, there are requirements, there are standards, and these things need to be learned. And that is what um, Ghana Export Promotion has been doing over the years and will continue to do so that we can assess the, the, the market. For us to be able to 
play within the international market as far as our food and other things are concerned. We just need to conform. And you can't conform if you do not understand or if you do not know. And that is why GEPA has gone into this partnership with the EU Compete Ghana um, project that is implementing the, um, the economic partnership agreement. And as what I mean, Promotion Authority has been the the main pivot around um, exports. Of course, there are multinationals who operate from here and send them into their market, but we also acknowledge the fact that Ghanaians need to play within the sector, and be, if you want to play with the, within the sector profitably, you need to learn about it. So that's what we keep doing, and um, we encourage many I mean, of the SMEs, the businesses who want to play within the export space to come to Ghana Export Promotion Authority, register, and register for the school and learn about the EU market. Well, team leader for the EU-funded Compete Ghana Expo School, Nicolas Geba, told Joy, Joy News that uh, whilst businesses have taken advantage of the economic partnership agreement to export to the UK, there's still a bigger and top market share that must be taken advantage of. Economic partnership agreement is a is a two-way agreement between Ghana and the EU, and and is to the advantage of both entities. Now, it's all about decreasing the trade barriers and increasing the level of trade between the EU and Ghana. Now, it has been signed in December 2016. It's uh, an imbalanced trade because it offers it has offered uh, Ghana um, to open up to the market of the EU, quota-free, duty-free. All, du all duties have been removed for um, products, 99% of the products since December 2016. I mean, when, it, when we look at the, top, the nature of the trade between EU and Ghana, what comes out from, from the EU to Ghana is mostly machinery, high technological machinery that, that I mean, basically will be constituting the inputs in the production of, of Ghanaian industry. So there's no real competition. We have made an impact assessment and a risk assessment, and we found out that on many of those sectors that we have identified where there could be a potential uh, threat to the local industry, that there's no, really, no real threat. That is number one. Num number two, the Ghanaians, yes, um, they, they, since 2016 there has been a doubling of export, yes, but there's still a lot of potential to be done. Why? Because the consumers in... In, in, in the EU. They are sophisticated, they have the purchasing power to buy products, but they are also very highly conscious of the fact that we need organic products, we need ethically, ethically produced uh, products, and should we have that? And we need many of those exotic products that are not available in the EU. So Ghana has them. Ghana has the capacity also to start processing a lot of those products. There's a lot of potential which lies there. The opportunity has to be uh, taken by Ghanaian companies. So the, the essential um, challenge for them is to understand the requirements and the standardization, certification, all these documentations that are needed to, to export properly to the EU. While still on matters of trade, the UK's Department for Business and Trade announced earlier this year that it was working with businesses across that country to encourage them to export for the first time or expand the existing international sales to support um, its mission of reaching £1 trillion 
in annual exports by the end of the decade. Now, businesses are being encouraged to explore opportunities from across the world to maximize their potential. The UK's share of trade with Africa was 30% not long ago, but now it's less than 4% after leaving the EU. The UK can now engage with Africa on its own terms. So how does Africa fit in the UK's quest to increase exports? Uh, Bolaji Sofolue is uh, Group Managing Director of ETK Group, uh, joins me on Zoom. Good afternoon to you. So one trillion pounds in annual exports by the end of the decade. That seems rather ambitious drive by the UK. Daryl, obviously, you know, I'm sure you've sort of heard a lot about sort of the effects and the ripple effects of Brexit in the country and how the UK is trying to reposition itself as a global trade player. And so in the last few years, um, the last couple of years, uh, the Secretary of State for International Trade has been, you know, touring the globe, um, establishing free trade agreements with countries that we feel are strategic. And we're looking to sort of plug the gap between the it's a 400 billion gap at the moment. So we're looking at 1 trillion. We're calling it the race to 1 trillion. And at the moment, trade is at 600 billion. And we're hoping that we can plug that 400 billion gap to get to 1 trillion. So how does Africa fit in this agenda by the UK? One of the things that we, um, so obviously my company, ETK Group, is uh, a trade advisory and market expansion expert. And in the last sort of 13 years, what we've seen more of is British companies trying to export and trade with Africa, you know. But what we're trying to do now is 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 change the narrative and also not just change the narrative, change things in, in the practical sense where African businesses are also able to sell to the UK. Now, of course, this isn't always something that's balanced um, for various reasons, um, but we think that uh, as ETK, we think that we can actually position African businesses to trade with the UK by improving their institutional structures. And I think that's where Africa comes in, being better positioned to sell with the rest of the world. How do they position themselves to benefit from this, uh, maximize export opportunities to the UK? What more can they do? There's certain standards, obviously global standards, that businesses have to adhere to. I think um, one of the key areas that uh, we've been discussing in more recent past is things like the rules of origin, which is a very simple element where it comes to trade. And, you know, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of Ghanaian yam coming into the UK, only that it's actually... Nigerian yam and so <laughs> and so some of these uh, very basic trade rules are you know the 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 difference between being able to scale your international business particularly into the UK and not being able to scale that international business into the UK because it then limits the kind of buyers that you have over here so one of the first things we need to do is give some um, more detailed trade facilitation education to small businesses so that they understand some of the key terms like rules of origin, like tariffs, like um, like le- letters of credit and all of those uh, basic elements that they need to to be able to to trade globally. I think they just need to educate themselves a little bit more. Are there any sectors of maximum interest? I think one of the things that Africa undersells is our creativity. Trying to protect your identity by yourself is a lot like trying to be a quarterback without an offensive line. 
LifeLock alerts you to blindside threats you may miss on your own, even if you're monitoring your credit. If a threat happens to get through, a dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist is there to help. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. That's LifeLock.com slash aware to save 25%. LifeLock. Identity theft protection starts here. Creative industry. I think when you think about the fact that most people... They think Africa. They start to think commodities. They think raw commodities. They think when they think of Ghana, they think of you know um, gold. When they think of Cote d'Ivoire, they think of cocoa. You know, but actually, um, what Africa has is a diverse range of sectors that are ripe and you know capable of exporting into global markets. And I always touch on creativity because obviously you've seen how the music scene has has shifted quite significantly um, with quite a number of African artists coming into the global charts. You have the movie industry as well that is growing and, and African culture is seeping into everything, the fashion industry, etc. So I don't think we should limit ourselves to commodities or products. I think there's mm-hmm. also room for non-oil exports as well. And do you foresee any challenges with this initiative by the UK? I know that the UK has got very uh, stringent requirements. And so since you work in that space, uh, do you foresee any challenges? I think, you know, one of the biggest um, uh, challenges And, and this is one of the issues that BTK is trying to, to intervene uh, in, you know, just trying to make sure that these companies have access to, um, you know, trade facilitation tools, you know, such as better sort of payment terms, you know, where, you know, because, again, you're selling to a big supermarket in, in the UK, for instance. They're going to give you payment terms of like 90 to 100 days. How many African businesses can survive you know, and when they're not paid in that sort of space of time. So these are the kind of things they need some trade finance some working capital to be able to fulfill the orders and survive until they're paid. So for me, I think access to finance is pivotal. I want to finally ask you about after because African countries are increasingly trying to trade amongst ourselves. So how do we how do you think African countries can leverage after to boost overall trade with the UK and boost our economy as well? This is one of my favorite topics at the moment, um, <laughs> you know, how the Africa free trade area. So, as you know, as Brexit was happening, the Africa free trade area agreement was being ratified in, you know, and it was it was an, an interesting experience because as a block, it means that we have better leverage. We have better negotiation uh, positioning as well. So mm. I think what Africa needs to do, and I always say this, is that we our leaders need to get together and talk about what our USBs are in each region, in each country. And we need to use that to collaborate and to coordinate so that we can sell to the rest of the world better and also sell to each other better. Because, I mean, again, at the end of the day, we're also trying to increase and and nurture competitiveness across the continent too. So I think these are some of the, for me, I feel that there needs to be a coming together and a meeting of minds. And, and ETK is driving some of those conversations as well. Thank you so much. Uh, Bulat Yusufulue is Group Managing Director of ETK Group. 
appreciate your time. Well, time to talk tech. Uh, we want to talk about X. Uh, Elon Musk's X, formerly known as Twitter, has started charging new users in New Zealand and the Philippines $1 a year to access key features of, as part of a new trial. Now, they include the ability to post, repost, like posts, and reply to posts. To what end? And is this going to uh, make or break X? Well, lead for Eyes of Africa, Henry Cobbler joins me on Zoom to discuss this. Henry, good afternoon to you. Why is X doing this? What is the platform seeking to achieve? Thank you very much, Daryl. So, I mean, generally we've, we've had this coming uh, when, when um, Elon had taken over X. And uh, generally, if you're looking at the, um, the finances or the revenues of the company since he took over, there's been a very downward uh, point for X. And so he sort of is looking at every opportunity to um, raise the revenues for X. Generally, his uh, comments, which has been widely spread of, uh, just generates to say that he's looking to cutting down bots, um, which are sitting on Twitter. And so he's sort of looking at cutting them up. But generally, if we're looking at what he's sort of seeking to achieve, he's trying to also make sure that he's uh, making some level of revenue uh, inflows coming in. And so um, it started with the X. People thought it was going to break it. It didn't really break it off. Um, so now he's sort of looking at how do I get to um, have people sort of paying from the best minimum and could sort of go into subscription modes, which uh, generally uh, has been one of the most important things he's been sort of looking at. And I think that it's, it's, it's really up to a time where we're having one of the social media platforms relatively being clear, uh, putting in some subscription models and getting users to sort of pay uh, and also working away from the, the um, advertisement model, which had already been uh, experimented over years. Yeah, uh, I know when, when he spoke about this uh, some months ago, uh, about a monthly subscription for ex-users, um, the reaction wasn't that great. And this is supposed to be a trial, $1 a year in the Philippines and New Zealand. But ultimately, do you think that he's going to get, get the buy-in of users or would this fail? I mean, Elon is a very smart person. I mean, you're just looking at it from, from the surface where it's just $1 for, for people. But Elon relatively is looking at making this platform a one-off all platform. And so he's looking at how do we start connecting payment systems to this platform? How do we sort of understand people's payment systems in different countries? How do we understand taxations in countries? How do we understand political terrains in countries? And so $1 relatively is just looking at a subscription model from, from the start. It might not be too easy for him to sort of um, cut it off, especially with, with countries like Africa, where we're still getting ahead of um, uh, putting in our, our payment systems together. So, I mean, you're looking at how you could definitely be paying this $1 on mobile money. And, and that's that's the thing I, I really foresee Elon is sort of looking at. And so it's sort of not just about him trying to put a dollar for people to pay to get access to the features that are sort of on the platform, but sort of trying to put a platform in a perspective where he could do so much with a platform, ignite payment systems on the platform, um, get people's data sort of on the platform, put in a lot of artificial intelligence on the platform, connect with cryptocurrencies on the platform. Essentially, that's what sort of he's looking at. But it has to start from somewhere. So do I put in a, a feature that, that people would sort of need, but we sort of have to pay for the feature? I think that's a starting point for him, and that's where he's sort of going. Well, there are two concerns um, from one article I was reading about uh, the potential of X losing a chunk of its users because of this, and and this also driving down um, advertising revenue. Um, how serious is this? 
Yes, I mean, um, you're going to lose some, but you sort of also gain some. And, and at, at an experimental point, we're looking at New Zealand, which has sort of um, a, a better off in terms of payment systems. They can connect to PayPal. I think they've sort of adapted well with, with cryptocurrency and all of those things. And so, yes, um, the concerns are legitimate, but, I mean, he's a businessman. He sort of has to pilot it. He's sort of not going to just go with speculations and um, understand it from that point where he's sort of going to see how users are going to go uh, with that. He sort of has to come in with some level of experiment away from, from all the social media platforms that are running and see how better off he can say, hey, I'm getting bought of the system and so my system is sort of um, better off to, to have interactions. I mean, you can understand that X has been cited up high when it comes down to terrorism and conflict uh, uh, journalism uh, on, on it. And so mm-hmm. you can sort of understand that he's sort of also looking at how he, he puts his platform in the perspective where he gains more trust and the people that are sort of on understand that they are sort of paying for uh, what they, they, they deserve and so they can sort of hold accountable uh, the company and, and run. So we're going to lose some um, some very crucial people. There have been quite a number of people that had left off uh, Twitter to be on uh, what uh, Facebook had sort of built and, and it really didn't get too far. It's still sort of um, struggling. But I think that X is still on its feet to uh, make gains, um, and I think that it would be positive for them. All right, Henry Kobler, lead for Eyes of Africa. Great to speak with you this afternoon. And that's the market, please, everyone. Thanks for watching. There is more news on our website, myjournaline.com forward slash business. My name is Daryl Kwao. We will be back uh, same time tomorrow.